Hello, everyone, and to all of you joining us online, hello and welcome. Thank you, Dania Bowman and worship team. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to John chapter 17, and we will be there in just a few moments. We are in a two-week series called Reset, and last week we talked about resetting with God that it is God's calling, God's will that you as a follower of Jesus Christ would gather with God's people on a weekly basis, that you'd be in a rhythm, in a habit to do that. And last week we talked about, for those of you still uh, watching online, we understand there are reasons why you're not here, but we're asking you and hoping that you at the right time will join us again as we worship God weekly. Well, today we're talking about resetting with God's people. And we're going to be talking about living in harmony with one another. This last year and a half during this pandemic, it has been tough. For some more so, but for all of us, it's been a tough year and a half. We've experienced loss. We're tired. We're exhausted. And some of us have experienced division, strained relationships. In our country, the country of Canada, prior to COVID-19, there were some things that divided us, the Western provinces and yet the Eastern provinces and the language issue, French and English. And there were a number of things that were dividing us, but for the most part, people would say in Canada that, hey, we're united as a country. Not so after a year and a half of this pandemic. The majority would say, no, we are a divided country. That this pandemic has added to the division. So in our country of Canada, we have some over here who say, uh, when it comes to this virus, we need to shut everything down. If we don't, it's reckless, it's irresponsible. And then on the other hand, other side, we'd have some Canadians who say, no, we should keep things open. When we close businesses, when we close schools, there's mental health, there's a lot of reasons why we shouldn't. Over on this side, we have people who say, no, we should wear masks, and these people know we shouldn't wear masks. We should all get vaccinated, no, we shouldn't. And so the country of Canada has become more divided. And in fact, in a sense, almost polarized. Where you have people labeling other people and ranting against other people and demonizing other people. Now, in our world, we can expect something like that from time to time. Since the fall of man, God created us to live in harmony with him and with one another, but since the fall of man, There's been disharmony with God and disharmony with other people. So in the world, um, we can expect that from time to time. But in the church, there is to be no division. There is to be unity. And in North America, the churches have let the spirit of the world seep into their gatherings, where we have the mindset of the world. We're almost normalizing in the church in North America, disunity. Today we're going to talk about unity and why it's so important and what it looks like in the family of God. 
So if you're taking notes, let me just uh, share the, the four points that we're going to talk about with unity. The first one is unity is our calling. Secondly, unity takes work. Three, unity requires harmony, or humility rather. And number four, unity is possible. So John chapter 17, and we're going to hear now Jesus praying this prayer 2,000 years ago for you and for me, for his people. John chapter 17, beginning in verse 20. Listen to the words of Jesus. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be, what's the word there? One. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Number one, unity is our calling. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, hours before he would be arrested and executed, is in an upper room in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover, the annual Passover meal with his disciples. He institutes the Lord's Supper. And that night, he also prays. And he begins his prayer praying for God's glory. He then prays for his disciples. And then he prays, notice, for all of those who would believe in me through their message. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's you and that's me that Jesus prayed for you and for me. And what was his message? That we would be one. Now think about that for a moment. Out of all the things Jesus could have prayed for on that night, he's hours away from being executed on a cross. He prays for unity. Please understand this, Woodside. The unity at Woodside matters to Jesus. It's a big deal to Jesus that we're living in harmony. Our unity is not something that we have to create or manufacture or try to produce. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you turn from your sin, realize that he died on a cross for you and that you need him to forgive you of all your sins, when you, you turn from your sins and you receive Christ and his forgiveness, at that moment you are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ comes in you, his Holy Spirit. And you were made one not only with Jesus, but with other followers of Jesus that were one with him. Positionally, there's harmony with God and harmony with each other. That's what we're looking forward to for all eternity. But in the meantime, we have to practice that unity. We've got to work at that unity. So our unity is not based on any affinity that we have. We don't create it. It's not like we're a running club. We all like to run or we're a, a biking club. We all like to bike or a horseback riding club. We all like to horseback ride. We're not the Lions Club. We're not the Red Cross. Our unity is based on the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And he prays, may they be one. Now, why does it matter so much to Jesus? 
Because our unity reflects the unity of the Trinity. Look what he says. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that they may be one as we are one. God exists three beings in one person, Father, Son, or three persons in one being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's hard for us finite human beings to wrap our mind around the Trinity, this infinite God, but in the Godhead, the triune God, there's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That They are three distinct persons, but they are one God, and they eternally coexist in perfect unity. There's harmony, there's community within the Trinity. And when we are one, we're reflecting that God, the God who saved us. So Jesus prays that we experience that oneness. We were created for community. We were created for oneness. One of God's good gifts is you living in community, in harmony with one another. Together is better. As David says in Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Can everybody say, I've experienced unity at Woodside. Oh, I'm so thankful for it. It is so good, so pleasant. Uh, Next month, uh, Woodside will be 46 years old. And over those years, Woodside has continued to grow. And we could list a number of factors as to possibly why. But one factor we do not want to overlook is the unity at Woodside. Yes, there's been hiccups along the way, but Woodside has remained a unified church. Uh, Some of you that were here 46 years ago, right? Well, way to go. You learned to live in harmony with other Christians. But can I also say, other Christians learn to live in harmony with you, right? But it's a good thing. It's a pleasant thing. God, Jesus wants us to experience it, and he wants us to reflect it to this world. Look what he says in verse 23, that when you're one, Jesus says this, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. In a world where people are divided, when We, as followers of Jesus, are united. We make him visible. We say to the watching world, there's a God who loves us, and he loves us so much, he sent his son to die for us, and it's the greatest news you could ever hear. We make Jesus visible. When people see you loving your family, practicing kindness with your neighbor, being generous, being forgiving, being merciful, seeking justice for people, People take notice. How come you are so forgiving and loving? How come you care so much about people? It's a witness to Jesus in your life. That we would be one. I want to pause for a moment and ask you to think about snow. Anybody already? Okay, nobody's got their winter boots out yet, right? Okay, I know we live in Canada. But think about snow for a moment. One snowflake is somewhat significant. You, you, you see a snowflake, snowflake falling and you're like, oh, there's a snowflake. Maybe you catch it, catch it, and then it melts. But what happens when you put a whole bunch of snowflakes together? They can stop traffic. They can cancel school as if we need school to be canceled anymore, right? 
Together, they are powerful. Same thing with you and me as followers of Jesus. Together, we are powerful. We give witness to this world about Jesus, and we're strong. But when we are divided, when Christians are bashing one another and belittling one another and demonizing one another because of their views on certain things, the watching world really has every right to mock and laugh at us and be cynical. Look at them. I don't want what they have. They're no different than us. Thomas Stanton, a minister in the 1600s, because disunity is nothing new, back in the 1600s, he remarked that division in the church always breeds atheism in the world. We have a watching world, and Jesus says, may you be one before that world. And when a church is divided, there is disharmony. What they are saying is, this issue that's causing disharmony is more important than Jesus. When Christians rally around issues more than Jesus, Jesus gets put back to the background, and the issue is in the foreground. Now, the COVID issue inside the church today in North America, there are differences of opinion, different views. But with those views, we're not to make them more important than Jesus. That we don't divide over those issues. The issue of COVID-19, or let me just say this too, the issue of politics. As followers of Jesus, we need good leaders, and we can pray for Christians to be involved at the federal level, provincial level, and municipal level. Christians who love Jesus and want to, who are loving and want to lift up the values of the Christian faith. Righteousness exalts a nation. We want laws that are righteous, that are good and right. So we pray to that end and we vote to that end. But our mission is not politics. Our mission is to make disciples, to bring the good news of Jesus to the world. And we're not to make politics more important than Jesus. If you look at many churches, they are on joining the world on this side, left or right, or this party or this part, and they're bashing one another, ranting against one another, demonizing one another. As followers of Jesus, we do not do that. That's not our mission. When you look at Jesus, how many times did he confront the government officials, the the emperor or anyone under the emperor, and say, you need to change these laws? Zero, not once. The Apostle Paul, who was brought before a number of governing authorities, had ample opportunity. How many times did he say to the rulers, you need to change these laws? Zero. You see, Paul knew that Jesus needed to be in the foreground, that it was only Jesus that could change hearts. That when Jesus, uh, when the people wanted to make Jesus king, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. I'm not going to be king. 
that Jesus and what we're on mission for is so much more important than politics. Yes, politics are important, and yes, we want to um, talk about different laws. We, our view, it needs to be at the federal table, the provincial table, the municipal table. We need someone to stand up and say, hey, we believe this on this issue, or we don't believe that, and we do it in a spirit of love. But as Christians, we don't take, try to take over the table. We don't demonize other people at the table. That is not right. We can protest and peacefully protest, but we are not shouting obscenities at the other side. We are not demonizing the other side like we see so often in our world. I want to speak just for a moment about fear. If you're over here and you are fearful of death because of COVID-19. You've got a small Jesus. You should be concerned, but you don't live in fear because Jesus is bigger than death. But if you're over here and you've got a fear of being controlled by the government, you've got a small Jesus because Jesus is bigger than the government. Listen, prime ministers come and go. Kingdoms come and go, right? Babylonian empire, Egyptian empire, Assyrian empire, they all come and go. But the kingdom of God, that's like a mustard seed, it continues to grow. Jesus said, I'm building my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we don't want to fear death and we don't want to fear being taken over by the government. But rather, we will stay on mission. If you look at the early church in the first 300 years of the history of the early church, it grew like wildfire throughout the, the Roman Empire. And we ask, were they taking over the government? No. They were loving people in the name of Jesus. And it grew like crazy. In fact, the government was against them and controlled them and had a number of them killed. Friends, we want good government. Let's work at that. Let's be involved in politics. But politics is not in the foreground. Jesus is. And to the church, hear the words once again of Augustine back in the fifth century, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. In the essentials of the Christian faith, what unites us? Jesus. The deity of Jesus, the sufficiency of Jesus and what he did on the cross, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, and the Bible as the word of God, it's his inspired word. We're not moving from those essentials unity. But in the non-essentials, and you can pick a number of issues that are secondary issues, politics, what we believe about COVID-19, there's a big stream, big list. Has anybody got anybody any in your back pocket, right? Number of lists. In those things, there needs to be liberty that we allow for other people to have a different opinion. And in all things, charity. How are we known as followers of Jesus? By our love. Not by what we post, not by who we vote for, not by what we wear, but by our love for Jesus. So unity is not uniformity. We're all looking the same, dressing the same, eating the same, all the same skin color. No, there is unity in diversity. And Jesus prays that for Woodside. So Jesus says, may they be one. In other words, may COVID-19 not divide you. May you be one. So unity is our calling. Number two, unity takes work, okay? In a church, 
Not everybody thinks the same, and the answer isn't getting around a campfire and singing kumbaya and holding hands, right? No, it takes work. 2,000 years ago, Paul, if you notice, his, he wrote a good portion of, of the, the New Testament, but over and over again, he's talking about unity and being one to the people of God because it takes work. Let me share with you just a few of the churches he wrote to, four churches. The first church, Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 1.10. Listen to what he says to them. I appeal to you, or I beg you, I beseech you, I plead with you. Okay, so Woodside, I beg you, I plead with you, I beseech you, I, be, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, the family of God, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ coming under his will, under his authority, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Live in humility, uh, humility sorry, live in harmony and no divisions. And the word, the Greek word for divisions is the word uh, schisma, where we get the word schism or split. It has the idea of tearing apart, ripping apart. So don't rip apart Jesus and the unity you have in him. To the church at Philippi, he writes to them, chapter one, he talks about them striving together side by side for the gospel, staying on mission for the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And then he writes this in chapter 2, being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And then in chapter 4, I plead with or I beg, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. So calling the church at Corinth to be one, calling the church at Philippi to be one, calling the church at Rome to be one. Romans chapter 12, live in harmony with one another. And then in verse, uh, chapter 14, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Notice that. Make every effort. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're not in harmony with another follower of Jesus, you don't just throw up your hands and say, well, I've got my excuses and I'm just going to stay here. You have to put on your work clothes, your work gloves, and go to work. Lord, how can we be one again? How can I have harmony with that person? I've got to make every effort. Notice he says, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of COVID. Do not destroy the work of God for politics, over politics. Do not destroy. That's what we're called to. Now, if we think, well, back in Paul's day, they didn't have the issues that we had today, they had significant issues. And first and foremost was the fact that we had Jewish people from a certain background, certain culture, certain way of doing things, um, meeting together with non-Jews, with Gentiles, who had a whole different culture, a whole different way of doing things. And it's interesting, in the church at Rome, these Gentiles and Jews were clashing. And why were they clashing? Well, because A.D., historically, A.D. 49, Emperor Claudius had all of the Jewish people banished from Rome. They all had to move. Because the Jewish Christians, those that believed in Jesus, and the, the Jewish non-believers, those that didn't believe in Jesus, were, were clashing. 
These people were saying, we saw Jesus risen the third day. He's the Messiah. He's the one. And these people said, no, he's not. And there was this division over this person called Christus. And so the emperor had the Christians banned. Well, about five years later, five or six years later, A.D. 54, the Jewish believers started to come back to Rome. And what they found was that the Gentiles, these people who didn't go to Sunday school, had a, who had a different way of doing things, like different move, music, ate different food, they were the leaders in the church. They weren't meeting in synagogues, they were meeting in houses. And so you had this clash between the two. And Paul says, listen, live in harmony. Don't destroy the work of God, mission of God, over food. And what would the, the big thing was that some of them were holding to the, to the fact that, that um, food being sacrificed to idols throughout Rome, there were many, uh, in the Roman Empire, there were many temples. You'd make a sacrifice to the gods. And some of those animals that were sacrificed, some of the meat was taken and brought to the market and sold. And so there were some Christians who said, we can't eat that meat. Even if it's on sale, you can't buy it and eat it, right? You can't touch that. It's been offered to idols. And there were people over here who said, we sure can. I mean, an idol is lifeless. Like, come on, who cares? And they were clashing over that. And what is interesting, Paul says, listen, in this, with this issue, here's what I want you to do. And when we think of our COVID-19 issue, some over here, some over here, in Romans 14 and 15, we find these instructions. Listen, Paul says, you go and make up your own mind. Seek God, look in his word, and discern. Lord, on this issue, this disputable matter, this non-essential matter, Lord, what's the right answer? And Paul says, you make up your mind before God. And then he says, and then you don't pass judgment on someone that has a different view. And Paul did exactly what he said. He practiced what he preached. It's interesting. In Romans 14 and 15, he tells us, to me, with this issue, eating meat sacrificed to idols is no big deal. It's okay, really, to eat it. But what is interesting in in, uh, Acts chapter 15, we find that when the church leaders met to go over all these issues in the early church, you'll find this in Acts 15, they met in Jerusalem, and one of the the decisions was made from the leaders was that we want to caution the churches that they don't eat meat offered to idols. Wait a second. Paul's on this side of the issue. They just decided they're going to do something on the other side of the issue. And we notice that Paul doesn't demonize those that held the different view. He set aside his personal preference for the sake of the gospel. Paul says, listen, Jesus is what it's all about. These issues, they're of less significance. Can I remind us that this issue we're dividing about, uh, the church is dividing about in, in North America, we didn't even know about it two years ago. Can you think what's coming down the road? Two years, five years? We have to learn to work for unity, fight for it, because if it's not this, it'll be something else. So unity is our calling, unity takes work. Oh, and before the third, the, the third point, I wanna just look quickly at the church at Ephesus. So Paul writes to them as well, and here's what he says in Ephesus chapter four, verses two and three. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort, there we see it again, make every effort, to keep, okay, we don't create it, we maintain it, to keep the unity of the Spirit 
through the bond of peace. Paul says to the church at Ephesus, listen, you make every effort to stay in unity. And here's what, in a sense, what I want you to wear. These are what are referred to as the garments of grace. Every day you put on humility. Yes, there's people in your world, every day they put on pride, and they're right, and nobody can tell them what to do, not you. You put on the garment of humility. And you put on the garment of, of gentleness. Yes, there's people out there that are harsh and mean, not you. And you put on the garment of patience, not impatience. And you put on the garment of persevering and bearing with one another rather than just quitting and walking away. Put on these garments. Paul says, put them on. Why? Because Jesus wore those garments throughout his life. And if we're following Jesus, we're to be wearing the same garments. Now, it takes work, but that's our calling. Can I just say, too, in the Christian church in North America, there are some Christians that wear the badge of division as a badge of honor. In our culture today, in our world, some people are proud and they... This is what they believe, and nobody's going to tell them anything, and I got a cap and a shirt, and you better just stay out of my way. That's one thing in the world. But a Christian needs to be reminded, division is not a badge of honor. It's a badge of evil. When we divide with people, again, we stay united in the, the, the essentials, so yes, we can't, we're not united with... Um, in the, in the essentials. But with all of these other issues, we don't have a badge of division. Paul says in Galatians 5, when Jesus is working in your life through his Holy Spirit, you know what people are going to see in the midst of COVID-19 in that issue? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. When Jesus isn't working in your life, you know what they're going to see? They're going to see the flesh, your fallen nature. They're going to see what's seen in the world. They're going to see hatred, discord, discord, fits of rage, dissensions, factions. Proverbs 6, we're told that God hates six things, no seven. And the seventh one is one who sows discord among brothers. The church in North America is normalizing disunity and discord. Can I remind us here at Woodside that we do not want to do that? That someone that, dis that sows discord in person or online is turning God's stomach. It's not good. And I will say to any of us here today or watching at home, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you are sowing discord, today you need to repent, today you need to stop that, and maybe it's today's the day that you get off of Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is that you're on where you're sowing discord. Like, get off, it is hated by God. We're told in Scripture that we're to have, to think a certain way, think thoughts that Philippians 4, true and noble and pure, there's a lot of stuff on social media that's none of those things. So a reminder to all of us that we need to fight and work 
for harmony. Paul says to the church at Ephesus in chapter 6, near the end of the letter, as he's calling them to unity, he says, you're in a spiritual battle. You're in a spiritual struggle. And it's not against flesh and blood. It's not about the person that has a different view from you. But it's against rulers, authorities, powers of darkness, spiritual forces of evil in this world. Be reminded at Woodside, folks, that we have an enemy He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the father of lies. He's the great deceiver. And Jesus called him in John chapter 10, the thief. The one whose mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. That we have a spiritual enemy that wants to steal our unity, steal our joy, kill our relationships, and destroy us. He wants us isolated and all worked up about all these different little things so that we're not on mission for Jesus. When we divide, it keeps us weak and ineffective. So we need to fight for unity. It takes work. Now that doesn't mean that we don't have differences of views. Right? Every Sunday at Woodside, you can find somebody on a secondary issue that maybe doesn't have the same view as you. And it doesn't mean that you diminish that view, but you don't elevate it so Jesus is in the background. You work together to, uh, towards harmony. Number three, unity requires humility. Peter writes to a, a number of churches in 1 Peter chapter 5, these words, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Clothe yourselves each day, all of you. Now he's talking at that point, to the, he's, he was talking to the elders and how those uh, under the elders, particularly the young, were to come under the leadership of the elders. The elders are making decisions, leading the church. You come under them. But then he says, all of you, elders and non-elders, everybody at church, clothe yourselves. Put on each day humility. Again, humility is not thinking more of yourself or less of yourself. It's thinking rightly about yourself. And how do we think rightly about ourselves? Like, who are you? Who, are, who am I? Well, I come, notice he says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. When you come under God, under his mighty hand, you not only see who he is, but he sees who you are. And the result of seeing his greatness and his goodness, it changes you so that you become a humble person. And that's why I want to remind us it's so important to gather weekly for worship because we need to worship this God who is great and who is good. We need to live each day daily in awe of the fact that, you know what, I don't deserve God's love. I can't believe the God who made everything I can see and can't see that this God who is eternal, that because of his grace and that he's good, he reached down and saved me. And all my sins are covered in the blood of Jesus. I belong to Jesus. I love you. I can't get over that. I have a future and a hope that we're just so daily in awe of that that we find ourselves becoming humble. God, you alone are God. I want to worship you and praise you. Someone has said radical unity is made possible when the deep love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ permeates our lives. And that is so true. When we understand his love and his forgiveness, it changes us and we find ourselves becoming humble. Without humility, there isn't unity. You get two proud people together, they're not budging, they're not talking to each other, there will be no unity. But when you get one person, and maybe two, 
there's the possibility of unity. Let me just share two characteristics of a humble person because you need to be humble if you want good relationships with other people. The first trait is a humble person listens to others. Do you listen to others? You listen to others because you don't know it all and you realize you get some things wrong. Okay, turn to someone and just say, you don't know it all. You get some things wrong. If you've got a spouse, go ahead. This is a freebie for you right there. No, and then that person turned back to you, right? You get it wrong. I get it wrong. I don't know everything. You don't know everything. And so we're humble. There's only one person who knows everything. One person who gets everything right on every single issue, every single time. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus, the one we're following, was full or is full of truth. Which means for you and me, we might not know it all, but we need to keep seeking truth. We need to keep seeking that which is in accordance with reality. Jesus is the ultimate truth. We need to keep seeking things that are true. In our culture, we see less and less of critical thinking. More and more, it's just like, here's the narrative. Here, we're telling you, you know, what to do, how to think, how to behave. And our young people in particular are just oblivious to being discipled by this world, right? It's just one tweet to another tweet to another tweet, you know. God is like this. God is like this. And people are just taking it without thinking critically and saying, is that true? Or is this other side true? And as followers of Jesus, we need to be seeking the truth in every issue with everything. One of the things I hope my kids will remember me by as a dad is how many times I've told them this, and I'm hoping that they'll take this lesson as they leave home, is that there's always two sides to an issue. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, you've got to learn to listen to the other side. You may hold one view, but you listen to the other side. So whatever it is, go deep. Ask some questions. Hey, you're a Christian. Why are you a Christian? Is that the, is he the truth? Maybe Jesus isn't the truth. Go do some homework. There's two sides to an issue. We need to use critical thinking, which means listening to the other side. And not just listening to reply, but listening to understand. I think all of us here, we're guilty of listening to reply, right? Where someone will say something, and if it's about an issue, they say something, and we're just starting to think how we're going to reply. We don't really hear them. You see that in politics all the time, just... Everybody's talking, but nobody's listening. They're listening to reply. As a follower of Jesus, you're to learn to listen, to understand. Which means going home today, taking about a six-inch piece of duct tape and putting it over your mouth from time to time. You're going to listen to understand. Just talk to me. Why do you believe that? And you'll find when you listen without interrupting and you're just listening to understand that it changes you. It could maybe change the other person because they're being heard, but it changes you. Because before listening, you've got your certain view and your relationship with them, it's like this. But when you're open to listening, it changes you. You may not change how you feel on an issue, but as you listen to understand it, it will change how you respond to that other person. And we need to learn to do that. And I said that, I would say to our young people, 
if you want to have good relationships at a young age, learn to listen, to understand, not just to reply. So a humble person listens to others. A proud person, no, I know everything. I, I don't want to, I need to talk. And then secondly, a trait that leads, can lead to unity, is a humble person is gracious. When we come under the mighty hand of God, we realize we are not perfect. As a result of that, we show grace to others. Again, if you'd like to turn to someone to say, you're not perfect, and then they can turn to you and say, you're not perfect. There's only one who is perfect, and his name is Jesus, and he's full of grace, full of truth, full of grace. And when you get under his hand and you begin to worship him, you realize that I don't deserve his love. And I can't earn his love. And Jesus didn't come and save me when I cleaned everything up. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Well, I always tell him, Jesus, I don't get lost. I don't want to listen to you. I couldn't care what you say. Nothing to do with you, Jesus. He took the initiative in love to come and save me. And then when that starts to work in my heart, in my soul, I find in my relationships, I got to give it away. Jesus helped me to be gracious and loving to people and even people that have a different view than me on certain issues. One of my prayers for my kids is, Lord, open their eyes to your glory because when they see his love for them, they'll start loving. When they see his grace towards them, they'll start showing grace to other people. When they see how he accepts them, and welcomes them, they'll start to be accepting that we would see the one who is gracious. In gracious relationships, you hear these words all the time. I was wrong. You were right. I didn't know that. Please forgive me. Yes, I forgive you. Two people that are gracious, you're hearing that all the time. In my marriage, this is what we're working for towards. In my marriage, we say those words a lot. A couple months ago, my wife said to me, you were right. And if I'm honest, I wanted to sit down at the time in a chair, have a couple like balloons, and have her to say it nice and slow. Dan, you were right. I just want to kind of, you know, just absorb it. Right? There's many times I've said to her, Lisa, you were right. But when you have two gracious people who are wanting to be gracious like Jesus, you're going to be little things, forgive me, I'm sorry. And even with differences of opinions, you, there's just grace. It's like the oil of relationships. A humble person listens to others, and a humble person is gracious. Fourth point, unity is possible. So Jesus calls you and me to be one. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some conversations. It takes work. Number three, that unity requires humility. And then number four, it's possible. Unity is possible. When you look at Jesus and his 12 disciples, he had one guy way over here on an issue and one guy way over here on the same issue. Matthew, the tax collector, who had sold out to the Roman Empire, big government, he was over there. And then Simon the Zealot, he was storm the capital. We've got to overthrow the Romans. And yet these two people, way over here on an issue, met Jesus Christ, and he changed them. Unity is possible, and still today, it is possible. So I want to ask you, how are you doing with unity with other Christians? How's it going?
If it's going well, praise God. Thank you, Lord. Help me to keep being humble and gracious and kind. If it's not going well, is there someone that you need to bring before the Lord, before God, and say, God, I need to come under your mighty hand. I'm living my life for you. And I've got this fracture in this relationship. And Lord God, maybe I haven't made every effort to try and make it right. Lord, I want to have the right motive that it's all about you, it's not me. I want to have the right attitude. Lord, help me. And that you would talk to God. But then you would take that step, that initiative, say, I'm going to make an effort. And you would call them or email them and say, hey, could we get together and just talk about this issue? Because I would really love harmony in our relationship. And if they say, no, I don't want to, you've made an effort. And you can keep praying and say, Lord, please, I pray for another maybe opportunity in the days ahead. If they say no. But if they say yes, there's an opportunity there that God just might work with that meeting. And so you set up a time and a place and you talk and you go to the person and say, you know, I know we've had our differences on this issue or whatever issue it is. Would you just tell me why you hold to that side? And then you would just listen to understand. And if it means putting a piece of duct tape on your phone and then taking it off your phone, and when the other person's talking, you put it over your mouth. And for 30 minutes, you don't say a word and even if something just kind of like gets you, gets you, right? You've got the garments of grace on, gentleness, Lord, help me to be calm. I just, I want to I wanna learn. I want to understand where they're coming from. And then hopefully you'll get an opportunity and you would share your side and here's where I stand. And then after that, you would say, hey, could we, even though we might disagree on this issue, could we live in harmony? Could we keep Jesus at the center so that we would reflect him to our kids or grandkids, to a watching world. Woodside, let us in the days ahead, let us today rally around Jesus like we've been doing for 46 years, and may he receive all the glory.